This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. Today's episode covers a very important topic in your engineering career, business development, or you could say sales. If you can sell anything as an engineer, your career is going to be better off. This is actually a panel that we had at our Engineering Career Summit. We broke it up into two episodes. This is the first of the two. It was literally over an hour of just amazing business development, sales information from experts. And you're going to hear that over these next two episodes. And I'll stay with you along the way. It was hard to hear the audience questions in some of the panels. So I just stepped in and narrated them myself. So you'll hear me as we go through. But before we get into this and I introduce the panelists and kick us off here, I just want to mention our engineering mastermind group that we run at the Engineering Career Coach. It's theengineeringmastermind.com. Basically, you're a podcast listener, but how do you take this information and use it? I hope that you want to dig deeper than just listening, and that's what we developed the mastermind for. It's very inexpensive, but it's a forum where you can ask questions of other engineers and myself and Christian, my partner, about your career, about life situations, career situations, and it really allows you to take action and promote action and give you the support that so many engineers don't have in their career. So again, check that out at theengineeringmastermind.com. I hope you'll join us in this journey so we can kind of go through it together. All right, so you're going to hear this panel now, and I'm going to introduce the panelists for you. First, we have Carl Herrick. He's an industrial engineer by trade, but now he runs a sales coaching company in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He really knows his stuff. You'll hear Carl throughout this panel give just value bomb after value bomb. The next panelist was Perrin Olson. At the time, you'll hear Perrin was with Hinge Marketing. Now he's more of a freelance consultant in realms to marketing and technology. He helps professional service companies in the AEC industry to grow through well-proven cost-efficient methods, including brand positioning, differentiation, content marketing, thought leadership, SEO. And he's also into marketing automation and email nurturing. Now, a lot of those things AEC companies aren't good at. Jim Rogers was also on the panel. Jim helps professional services win more work. He's a consultant, speaker, author, and a sales presentation coach. Engineers hire him to help build their authority and to help them prepare proposals and presentations that really sealed the deal. Jim's a great guy. I've been working with him on the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers. We launched that together a few months ago. He's also authored the book called Win More Work, which was focused in the AEC industry, but really is most focused towards engineers. Lastly, but certainly not least, was Christy Mirambell, who was also on our civil engineering podcast, as was Jim Rogers. Christy established her own company, K-Bell, in 2008, and her goal was to give industrial and commercial clients in the Gulf South a reliable, customer service-oriented provider of engineering, construction, and management services. And that's exactly what she's done. She's built up a reputable company. She talks a little bit about how she started the company in this panel, which you'll hear about. She has a bachelor and master's of science in civil engineering from the University of New Orleans. So with that, I'm going to give you a quote and we're going to jump right into the panel here and just start going with it. And the quote goes as follows, in order to succeed, we must first believe that we can. 
in order to succeed, we must first believe that we can. And that's from Nikos Kazantakis. And the reason I picked that quote is because a lot of engineers don't believe they can succeed in sales and business development, but you can. There are skills that you can learn, and you're going to hear that. So we're going to jump right into the panel now, and it's going to start off with a first question that you'll hear from one of our attendees about trying to decide which way to go with his engineering business. I started with this about a year ago, um, and I have two distinct but very different business lines. And uh, first, is, first is a the more non-technical lines, uh, detailing and uh, structural miscellaneous metals, uh, wood and stuff like that, basically structural all elements. And then the other is structural engineering and, and consulting in general. I've been having a real hard time is developing business because I have, obviously there's a huge difference in fee structure on those two lines. I have a, a very stable base of, of detailing and you know I want to grow the engineering obviously that's, that's where you know the better the, the work I want to do more so is in there. We were talking about this a little bit yesterday it's a it's a challenge to know how to where to where to cut a service or how to how to strategically cut a service so that you can focus more on the opposite. And I would just be curious to hear any input on that as a, like I said, as a ongoing challenge I'm having right now about a year in and, and it's getting to the point where I have to start start fo- being able to focus my company more because I feel like I'm not focused. I have a, I, the, the structural detailing itself is not really a specialization, let's say, um, but the miscellaneous metals detailing and the, and the more intricate stuff I do is, that's a, a for me, when I first started my company, I was a chameleon because I needed to make money. So if you called me and said, hey, I need you to do this, guess what? I was going to figure out how to do it. My company's eight years old, so what I, I'm, I'm not 100% working in my niche, I guess you could say, but what I do is each division that I have, I keep their own numbers and I monitor their gross profit. And I may have to have a a division that I really don't feel very passionate about, but it's generating the revenue that I need or the profits I need to support my big picture. So when I do things that kind of take me off the path of my goal, I'm okay with it, but I recognize, look, this is a temporary thing I'm gonna do for about a year. It's generating me this amount of profit. I could take that money, sock it in here. So for your situation, it kind of sounds like you're kind of in the same boat as me. And so I'm saying, look at both as their own company and what do they bring into the table and then identify where you want to go and see how that gets you there. Is it too distracting to to have those two separate ones and be developing in parallel because they are complementary services but they're also competing services? I think you know that answer. Because what's distracting to me may or may not be distracting to you. My highest gross profit item is the item I can't stand doing. So at this point, every single week, I'm like, that's it, we're closing it. And then the lady does my accounting, comes in and goes, we can't afford it. And I'm like, it's not that bad. So it, that's an, I would say that's specific to you. You have to tell me that it's too distracting. And I would say, I mean, something we do with our clients is have you group your clients ABC? A is the ones that you really like working for, pay the bills, they're just, they're, you want to clone them. B is the ones that aren't quite the perfect fit. They pay the bills most of the time. Like they're they're okay. C is the ones that you'd rather not have. 
at the finance side, as Christy was saying, you know, if all your clients are in C and they're paying 80% of your bills, you need to start working towards A. But it's okay to fire clients. And it you feels know. great. Yeah. The when first, you can't, yeah. You can't, don't when you get to a point and you can fire a client or you can, as a, you know, in sales, you can say no and no, you can actually afford to say no. It's a good thing. So we're just trying to put people in buckets and systemally, you know, move people to get rid of the C's. And as you grow, you know, your A client might be a C client in five years. Mm-hmm. All right. So you heard Perrin talking about classifying your clients into buckets A, B, and C. At this point, one of the attendees asked, when you classify the clients into these different buckets, are you looking at the financial aspect of it? So in other words, if someone pays you a lot more money than another client, does that kind of weigh how you classify them? You are factoring in the finance side. Yeah, you have to look at, you have to weigh them. You have to, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, A clients want to pay on time, don't have an issue, like they're not so small that they can't afford you, you know, and they're kind of anchoring you down so you can't grow. Um, they're the ones you really, you get excited about working with. You, when the phone rings, you're excited. That was when I, with my team at one point. We, we measure people. When this person calls, we're excited. When that person calls, we're not excited. We fired our biggest client model firm. They were 20% of our revenue, but it killed. We were spending so much money in happy hours and like lunches and just trying to accommodate the team to be happy when this client called. So we fired him. And, and it, it hurt, but long term, it, it was good. And part of the danger, of course, is that it could be not just the owner of the company, but your team mm-hmm. that isn't having fun. What happens when workers don't have fun long enough? They leave. They yeah. leave. What does it cost you when you have turnover? Yeah. So, yeah, these are just the decisions that as business makers, I never had to make these decisions when I was just an engineer out there calling on Exxon and Shell, and I had teams, and luckily they were very successful companies. My wife is a master gardener. Does anyone here like gardening? So you'll get this. So she loves roses. When you want to create award-winning blooms, sometimes what do you cut off the plant? The yellow leaves with the fungus on them. And or some of the other buds that are never going to be, it's called pruning. I have a major client that just had to go through this. And psychologically, for every one of their 15 salespeople, it was difficult to lose a single account because if you lose a single account, emotionally, it's tough to let them go. Plus, you're wondering, am I going to replace them? But if you're using all your resources for the ones that aren't producing profit, what resources do you not have for the ones that you should be spending time with? This is the psychology of sales that they don't teach in engineering school. And we talked about it at lunch with Tim. I mean, the emotional side of this is very important and you really cannot allow that to shade your good business decisions, if you're not making a profit, you won't be around to serve anybody or to do the fun things. Now one of the attendees asked a very interesting question. She said, I'm hearing these days from a lot of engineers that their companies want them to bring in clients, but they don't know how to do it. They're not used to doing it. They haven't been trained to do it. So how do they do it? And really people refer to these as the seller doers. And again, that's why we started the Seller Doer Academy for civil engineers, because every CEO, every company wants these quote unquote seller doers, right? So she makes a great point. If you haven't been trained for business development, how do you do it? We talked about yeah. it at lunch. We were talking, yeah, right before we kind of get started, we we're talking about it's, there's this move of going to more seller doers and it's... And it's this cost efficiency. If we can get rid of this business developer, 
to cost us you know whatever their salaries and commission and we can now take our engineers and we already paid their salaries so they'll just we'll make them sell and you're not kind of thinking about the back end of okay if i take them off 10 hours of billable time that few people now pays for that business developer so what we're seeing in the SMPS world is the marketing association for this build industry is this move where business developers are now coaches for these engineers or construction project managers but in particular engineers is the bigger movement we're seeing this in and they just released the report the observations of this move from business developers to seller doers and where it's going and I'm sure you've seen similar trends with your line work but it's it's a cost efficiency with the recession well actually I correct myself we were talking about it, Anthony. I really think it's great that you called this conference. Yeah. We talked about when we got back here, and I used the metaphor of, you know, Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL, and he's, we love him. He's here in this city. And I just heard that they're going to have him play tight end this year, which I think is a great idea. I, no, why are we taking people that don't have the skill, don't have the confidence, and taking them away from what they do well to go do something that they may be afraid to even try? Now, if we want to train them and they show a skill in it, then it could be a fantastic situation, but it does need to be done in the same way that we do everything else as engineers, which is that it's a process, right? That we understand what the skill level is, the competency, and some kind of even certification. I use this as a metaphor because I couldn't solve it four years ago for a million dollars. Does anyone here like to play with these? Just so you know, Carl Herrick is about to make a reference to something. He's holding up a Rubik's Cube. I just wanted you to know that. It's a Rubik's Cube. Anybody here know how to solve this? I have a nine-year-old who can solve it. Okay. I can now solve it in less than three minutes. How did I get from not being able to, being frustrated by it, to where I now can solve it in three minutes every time? It's a process, and it can be learned. I was not a born salesperson. I've had to learn how to be a salesperson. So I proved that it can happen. But I don't like what I'm hearing, which is that they're forcing people, possibly for financial reasons, that's risk. That's not what we are all about as professional engineers, right? What have we taught to do? Minimize risk. On an ocean-going ship, I mean, I went to Mass Maritime Academy. You probably know a bunch of guys from there. People get hurt. People die if we do dumb things and we don't think about it. So I think it's a good idea to find the ones who can learn it, like us, and want to learn it, and then someone else, I think it was you, Anthony, or someone, or a parent said, the only child, maybe it was a parent, that be careful what you ask for, because if they train you to do that, and you work for a corporation, and you get really good at rainmaking, what might you think to do on your own? Leave and go start your own company. So it's just a complex thing that we have to think about as, as a profession, um, but you shouldn't throw people out there to the wolves. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm going to, this is flat out disagreement. With, with that, but I tend to think that more people can be developed to help make business happen. Whether or not they close or not is a different question, and whether or not can they open doors and do they have a responsibility, a role in marketing and, and promoting the firm and capturing leads and being able to tell the story of the company. I think anybody that builds a client better be able to do that. And you can only bring people up so far that they really become seller doers or doer sellers where they're more sales than, than doing, if you know what I mean by If you flip that around and think about it, somebody that's less billable and more sales, but still doing a little bit of client work, the top uh, levels of the organization. I worked for, Anthony introduced me, I don't think he named the firm, but uh, it's Accenture now, it was Anderson Consulting, it was actually Arthur Anderson when I started. 
and it's the largest, uh, one of the largest global management consulting companies in the world. Does a lot of process and technology consulting. We created a very rigorous screening process, not just for people out of college, but for experienced folks. But for the entry level folks, we had a series of, of, uh, of behaviors that we wanted to be able to see, behaviors and attitudes, and it's called you probably know critical behavior interviewing, right? Assessments are very good things to do for anybody. Yeah. So, and this was all, uh, there was no written part of this. This is all part of the interview. And one of the, we had 10 things that we were looking for. If you got three out of the four, you could start to wrap up the interview because you knew you were going to give somebody an offer that day. Entry level. The one that was, if they didn't have the first one, you weren't hiring them. You could start to wrap up the interview and get them out of there so you could do something else billable for a client or get the next interviewee in there. The one that was, um, that, that, was that had to be there was self-starter. Because self-starter means that you can get passionate about something, you're driven, you want to learn something, whether it's figure out that Rubik's Cube or whether it's learn how to sell or be a better communicator or writer, you're going to go pursue that whether passionately because you love it or passionately because it's going to help you succeed in life. So we believe that um, critical thinking skills could be taught. You know, have, I can't believe that we were thinking about hiring people that may not have had critical thinking skills in a technology company, but we thought that those could be built upon and sharpened. Communication skills, business development, any interpersonal skills, all, everything could be taught except, except self-starter once you got to be 21. Long, long answer, but I think most people can, if they want to do it, can do it. Yeah. What are two, three, and four? Two, three, and four. Critical thinking, I don't know, it's been, it's been 15 years since I looked at this. Critical thinking, interpersonal skills, conflict resolution, problem solving. And I don't think that we disagree at all. I love what you just added, Jim. I'm a doer seller. So when I was calling on the industrial plants, the fact that I was not only an engineer, but a water systems boiler engineer, the chemical engineers loved me. They didn't want to run the powerhouse in the first place. So they were getting an engineer on the team, not just a salesman. I just happened to have a product with me, and it went really well. I was there for six years. We were selected as the best vendor out of 3,000. I love taking doers and turning them, because they can learn how to be communicators. All sales is done professionally is relationship building. And you have tons of credibility when you're truly an engineer. You have no idea what your potential is, probably. It's just endless. And that's kind of, I mean, you, you're coming from the client side of the port for some of years. You'd rather talk to an engineer than a salesperson, correct? At this point, one of the attendees made a very interesting point. She has worked for the government for some time and now has her own business. But she said when she used to work for the government, contractors and I guess engineers used to come to her from all over the world trying to sell their services. And what she said was frustrating was that she wanted to know what you did best, what that person did best, as opposed to telling me I do everything. And so she kept saying, you know, what really frustrated me was when a consultant wouldn't just tell me we are the best at this. What's your forte? What's your skill? And this was a very interesting point that the panelists went on to talk about. So to kind of wrap up the question, you asked, is it a good thing or bad thing? I think for the clients, it's a great thing that someone like Christy can come as an engineer and be the engineer and the salesperson versus someone like me. If I was selling an engineering firm, I'd have to bring an engineer with me. Or I could, you know, so we're seeing a lot of these business developers come, the bird dog, they get in the door, then they have to bring the engineer to come help either be the close or sometimes the business developer is the, the bookends, the front end to get the, in the door and then the closer because the engineer wants to talk technical. And I think 
you're hitting on a really key spot and it's the hard thing for us when we market an engineering firm, what makes you unique, what makes you different? It have to make you unique from everyone in the world, but as an engineer, you're a problem solver. You know, what do you have talents than everyone else? Because if you just say, we can do it all, we can, we're qualified, you've got a, a database of a thousand companies that are qualified to do that. So how do, how do you rise to the top and become the most qualified or the best one, the win-win situation that the port's gonna look good and you're gonna look good? So think about that, you know, what is the client's perspective on things? That's where I think the seller-doer model is really good for clients because they're gonna get access to the actual doer. In the end, the people that can talk technical, people that can, are in there and have done it before, you know, the estimates more accurate and things like that. So, and it depends on the industry, but I yeah. think there is research that shows that people want to. Maybe somebody opens the door and that's a business development person, but the faster you can hand that relationship off to an engineer, and 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 move on from somebody that's pure business development that doesn't have credential behind their name, no no, no reason for yeah. certain industries in transportation. It, industry for DOT, which is not called DOT in Kentucky, but they don't have, marketing people are valueless in that business. So it has to be the engineers. They have to do the legwork. They have to know the clients. They have to write the proposals. There's no room for for a marketing or business development person in that market. So, and I'm, we're coming down the line here, not that all of us have to answer your question. No, but I want to hear what Christy has to say from the perspective of, you know, your company's growing now, you've had your company for eight years, so, how do you think about with your engineers, you know, getting them involved in business development, or what is your thoughts on this? So I'm an engineer, as in pure engineer. I don't understand business development. I fight when I get pushed to go into business development because I'm, I'm more of a. I want to see if we got good jogging together. I want to see if it's authentic. I want to see if we can partner together and go after things. So I guess my business development approach is more of strategic growth and partnership. I encourage my team to do business development without meaning to do it. Meaning when they go out in the field, we're a passionate group. Like we get pumped up. You come into the office, we're either laughing, screaming. Like we're just a high energy group, but that's our personality. So when you break us up and you put us out in the field, we're pumped up and we're talking to other people and we're getting people laughing and going. But but it's authentic, that's who we are. So for me to look at one of my team members and say, hey, you know, go meet with Bo Brothers and let's go see if we can get some work over there. I don't have a problem with it because we're all speaking from our hearts. You know, we're speaking from our passion, but it's not like I'm going to them and saying, go sell bird cages to Bo Brothers. They would look at me and go, how am I gonna, like, where is that coming from? So K-Bell is really about like the passion of it like our culture is just like owning it we just want to have an awesome time and so because of that our business development it's not like black and white it's kind of like hey let's just go see what we could do another thing is what KVL does is we're a small business and we recognize that we can't go after a lot of work so what we do is we go to all these other small businesses and we say hey this is what we can bring to the table. You're doing environmental, we only do civil. Can you bring your environmental, I'm bringing my civil, and together we're gonna create a team, we're gonna go after this package. When we bring people in, and it's common, the first thing they say is, I could do anything. The second you tell me you could do anything, I'm done. Because no one can do everything. And I was that girl. I used to, when I first started KVL, I thought I needed to sound huge. So I'd come to meetings, I can do anything. I could do mechanical. No, I don't move, I equal zero. 
And so as I became more confident in myself, now I come to the table and I say, this is what I do. And in fact, I had a call from a client who said, I know you only bid this, but would you be willing to do these other four packages? And I respectfully said, thank you, but that's not what I do. And he said, wow, I've never met a small business that turned work down. Typically, you take as much work as you can and you hope for the best. But I knew my strengths and my weaknesses. So I, I encouraged to hear I do everything, in my opinion, discredits us. And before I move to the next question, because you've kind of come back to what Tim's question was. And boy, you don't say you do everything. You had two verticals, right, or two services that you were thinking about providing. And I, I didn't say anything about that, your question. But it's a business decision. You have to have courage. But I believe, and Anthony has a good story about this, that if you go narrow, become known for something, later you can go wide. And when I wrote my book, Win More Work, How to Write AEC Proposals, well, ACEC, American Council for Engineering of Engineering Companies, said, well, put AEC in there because that's the industry term, A slash E slash C. I'm like, okay, well, it's really for engineers. So I took all my engineering examples and rewrote them to be architect examples so that architects could enjoy the book. I have no construction examples in there. People that are in construction read it and they go, I get it. So I didn't like that I was really AEC when all my clients were civil engineers. And so when we created Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers, we put for civil engineers in it so somebody would look at it and go, oh, that's me, not just Seller Doer Academy. But you had a, an example last night about the podcast, the podcast when you had the engineering, the engineering group podcast. Engineering group podcast we've been doing for three years, and so it's about thirty-seven, forty thousand dollars a month. Let's say forty thousand dollars a month. A month, forty years. a month, forty thousand a month. So this three years the civil engineering podcast is maybe eight months old and does about thirty-seven thousand downloads a month. So the point is, is that it's niche and it's very specific. And because it's specific, the people know that it's for them, like civil engineers, and then they kind of gravitate towards it. So, and that's and those examples are important. I mean, I think having that a niche is important for business development because if they know that you're an expert in a certain field, kind of like Christy's saying, they're going to reach out to you for the civil stuff, not for all the other stuff. Or not, you're not just going to get mixed in with all these firms that do everything. You can stand out in some way. So I definitely think that's important. And we talked about that yesterday in the mastermind. Some of you about developing some of your skills to become such an expert in a field where, you know, that's part of your business development. People are like, you know what, I know, you know, Sky or Andrew or, you know, they do this very specific thing really well, so I'm going to call them. And you start to build up that kind of business development. And I think it kind of speaks to different aspects of business development. Like part of business development is the way you service your clients, right? Because then they're going to come back to you. And I think that engineers need to, and don't always get educated on that, but you have to think that when you're working on a project, when you're going to a job site, when you're delivering something to someone, that's business development too. Because if they like that, then they're going to stay with you as a client. They're going to call you for the next project. So you don't always have to think of business development as straight sales. I mean, there's different ways, there's different aspects of it. And you may not be asked to go out, per se, directly and do it, but there's indirect ways that, that you're doing it as well. It's also asking for more business from your existing clients. So those people don't think of themselves as business development people. So is the label business development a bad label? Should we not even think about that? Just think about what people's roles are in the life cycle of the client and not worry about this label of business development person well, and or whether you're doing sales or not. It's all sales. Yeah, and in my Whether firm, you're doing it or not or think you're doing it or not. Yeah. My firm, we're heavy on research. So we've researched professional service buyers and a lot of it is this AEC industry, the build industry, because that's our core business. When we have a term called visible experts and you have five levels of expertise and when you get to about halfway point when you go from level three as a rising star to level four as this industry rock star 
And what happens is you stop doing sales and people you start telling people no because you're such a niche expert. You've got so much work coming in the door that you're telling people no. So that's the interesting thing that happens too is because you kind of work your way up in this expertise and you guys all have seen this. I mean, the Drew Brees example is great. Drew Brees will get paid a lot of money to be the best quarterback. If you put him at tight end, he's not going to make as much money as Jimmy Graham when he was here because he's not a very good tight end. But that's how most people think is let's be a generalist. What does the generals pay for a, a generals football player? We play special teams. We'll give them mid salary or minimum salary for an NFL player. Drew Brees made the max. You know, so be the Drew Brees, be the specialist, be the best you can. And what's great is he's continued to build his craft. So think about it like that. And I think engineering is the best industry to build an expertise because there's it's so wide what engineering is. I mean, I know technical people, IT people that call themselves engineers, but they're not going to go touch a bridge. And some of you in this room love it. I mean, I was at a conference a few weeks ago talking in Orlando, and it was all about underpinning and foundation work. And they're all engineers. And I'm just, this is a whole different world of engineering that I'm used to when I think structural and civil engineering. So I think you have this ability to really go after a certain segment of a segment and be that perfect person for the client. Because when you walk in the door, the client wants you. They're going to call you and say, hey, you're the expert in this. I have this problem. You know, that, that's the real power of doing that. You're not really doing sales anymore. You're just solving problems. So I hope you enjoyed the first half of the panel. That half of the panel focused a lot on sales and getting into sales, whereas the second part of it, which will be our next episode, focuses more on kind of building your own business, not burning bridges when you leave a company, building those relationships. But what I'd like to do here is just for our Take Action Today segment is kind of wrap this one up talking a little bit about sales and how you can get started on improving in sales. But before I do that, again, I want to mention the engineering mastermind that we have. Many of the attendees in the audience for this panel are members of our engineering mastermind group. And essentially what that is, is it's a community where we support engineers in their career and personal development. We have a very elaborate forum with many strings that go back in time on topics that are valuable. You can go in and get right access to this library immediately when you join. We also do webinars and have calls from time to time so you can get the support you need in your career. And we just started a new private Facebook group to give more of a shorter term chat area for people. So now you can really get to know the members better. Chris and I are excited about the growth of the mastermind and we hope you'll join us because not only will you benefit from it greatly, but you'll help us to keep the engineering career coach and all of the content going. You can learn more about that at the engineeringmastermind.com. All right, so how do you get started in sales if you're an engineer? How do you actually sell, right? I think one of the best things that you can do is to just learn how to build those relationships because that's what selling is. People want to work with people they know and people they trust. So don't try to find any sales tricks or become you know this great salesperson. Just be genuine in your connection with people and do your best and give them value. That is sales. Start there. You may get to a point where you can start to think about some more sales tactics, but don't go there from the beginning. Start basic. Start by building relationships and being value, being valuable to people, to your clients, to your company. That's sales. That's really sales. And I don't want to say more than that because I don't want to make it more complicated than that. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. You can go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash BD panel, that stands for business development, BD. So that's all lowercase BD panel. 
We monitor all comments and will respond if you leave us one. Until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.